Our reading this evening is going to be from Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief, chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were, while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the told, soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is God's word. Let's let's pray again, and then look at these wonderful verses together. Our Father, we praise you for these words of the Lord Jesus, that he is with us always. To the very end of the age, assuredly, he's with us by his spirit this evening. And so we ask that you teach us. Your spirit will be at work teaching us from these uh, well-established words that Jesus spoke at the end of his life here on earth. So we're changed so that we would indeed desire to obey his command to go and make disciples. We pray this with ourselves abased, wanting to exalt you for the honor of your name. Amen. Uh, as I think Matt said at the beginning, then, there's a, a mild act of little unity. Uh, all of our churches this evening are preaching from uh, Matthew 28 in these verses, the uh, Jesus' commission, the Great Commission, as it's become known, uh, these uh, last few verses of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, that's an entirely a good way of describing them, the Great Commission. And it's not a bad name to take as a little network. Not great, but just Commission. Uh, also, it's quite good for us as a church, just as our individual church, to look at these at the beginning of uh, January, because for the rest of the month, we're going to think a little bit about issues of um, social justice and what the Bible has to say on them, just for a further three weeks after this one. 
What does the Bible say as Christians we should do in relation to the poor that we see around us in terms of getting involved in political structures, perhaps, to try and influence for the cause of uh, justice? Well, how should we get involved in those things? And at a time of uh, national austerity, so uh, clearly impacting many in the land, those are good things and useful things to think through as Christians. How should we respond to that around us? But before we do, over the next three weeks... It's good to have clear in our minds that at the end of his life on earth, Jesus established this, these verses, as his great commission, his priority for the church, the chief commission, the chief thing that we're responsible for doing. And it is to make disciples of all nations. Above all else, that's the call upon the church of Jesus Christ, to make disciples of all nations. So throughout history, obviously it's not actually in the Bible, not in the original Greek text, the words, the Great Commission. But throughout church history, that's been the title given to this little section. The reason Christians have always uh, gone for this as the chief or the main commission or um, task that Jesus gives his church to do, well, they're, they're numerous. Let me give you three of the most important ones as, uh, as people have held them to be. The first will be that God is a missionary throughout the scriptures. The main plot line of the whole Bible is God going and rescuing people. From Genesis chapter 3 onwards, it's a story of God rescuing people, making disciples for eternity. God is a missionary. So it makes no surprise that he sends off his people as missionaries. Perhaps clearest it comes up in John's gospel, actually, his great commission, towards the end of John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus declares, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me to bring peace between man and God, so I am sending you to proclaim that, to proclaim what I have done reconciled man and God. Peace be to you. So God is a missionary, so it's no great surprise that the chief task he gives his people, his church, is to be missionaries throughout the centuries. That would be one reason. A second would be this, that it's a sense in which this, uh, this missionary call is at the end of all of the gospel accounts. It concludes all of them. Certainly here in Matthew's gospel, that's very obvious. And it summarizes a number of the central themes of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is the one with authority. Jesus wants not just believers, but disciples, people who obey him. It's very strikingly obvious at the end of Matthew's gospel. I alluded it's towards the end of John's gospel. Luke as well. Luke records similar final words of Jesus post-resurrection. At the beginning of Acts, his second volume. Chapter 1, verse 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, I'm about to go now, and the last thing I've got to tell you is, witness to me. Tell people about me. So in the gospel accounts, his final instruction, the final instruction really of Jesus Christ is, go and be missionaries, go and be witnesses, go and make disciples conclusion. And third little thing just to say would be, that's what you see the church doing throughout the book of Acts, being witnesses to Jesus Christ. That's their 
primary task. I mean, the church has many things to do. It does many things when it gathers, and many things in relation to people around them. But primary, the task we see them doing is making disciples, because that's Jesus' great commission to his people. So I'm not going to go through them all, but recurrently, that's the dominant theme of the book of Acts. Just as one example, when Paul, the Apostle Paul's uh, ministry is summarized in chapter 14, it's summarized like this. Chapter 14, verse 21, Paul and his companions preached the good news, the gospel, in the city of Derby, And when a large number of disciples, then they returned to Lystra, Myconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So that's just normal ministry for Paul. You try and you preach the gospel primarily and people become Christians. And then you keep visiting them so they grow as disciples. That's the primary task of the church throughout the ages is to see people become disciples of Jesus Christ, saved from an eternity, separated, cut off from God, saved from an eternity with God, and in this life, obeying everything he's commanded, disciples of him. That's why this is known as, and has been known as throughout the centuries, as the Great Commission. The church has many things to do, but this one has priority. It is the great task, mission, that Jesus has given his church. Okay, we had the whole of chapter 28 read, uh, just, one says, just to see the, where this is coming from. Uh, chapter 28, verse 10, the risen Jesus uh, has told uh, the women, go and assemble the disciples, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, they'll see me there. And uh, here we pick it up in verse 16, they're in Galilee, and Jesus meets them on a mountain. Why, where else would he meet them? Um, because mountains are where God says important things to his people. Just what happens on a mountaintop in the Bible, isn't it? God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. God makes his dwelling place in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Jesus arrives in the Bible and preaches from the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, a fairly key teaching. So when he, just before he departs and he gives his final instruction in Matthew's Gospel, he does it from a mountain, because that's where you say important things if you're God. Uh, And this is one of them. Three things. Three things, essentially, he says. Uh, there's, a, um, there's a foundation, there's a command, and there's a promise. And let's just work through them, these are a few little verses. A foundation, a command, a promise. The command, what we're to do, is enveloped by Jesus' work and Jesus' promise, which is a great relief. First then, there's a foundation. The foundation, Jesus has all authority. Slightly different from your sheets, don't be thrown. Jesus has all authority. Now, um, easy to miss, but all is the most exciting word in the passage, or uh, certainly the dominant one, just in these final few verses, verse uh, 18 to the end. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, literally, all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, that's literally all days to the very end of the age. So Jesus says, I've got all authority. Go make disciples of all nations. Teach them all things for all time. All things. Everything. Okay? All. The first one is Jesus has all authority. Briefly, not that he lacked authority before. 
Not that when he was teaching before he died and rose again, he got a few things wrong. You know, he's pretty good. But now, it's just that now his authority is recognized completely. Or the arena of his authority is more complete. Heaven and earth now. Perhaps, you know, uh, old Robin Hood sort of legends. Robin Hood's the hero, of course, but always towards a good, good, the end of a good film or a good legend. Uh, good King Richard arrives back on the scene. And uh, King Richard arrives, and Robin Hood and all his men go, ha-ha, the king, bow. And um, they recognize his authority. But only right at the very end of the film is bad King John overthrown, good King Richard becomes king, huzzah, and authority is more widespread. And that's slightly the picture going on here. Jesus has always had authority, but now as the one who has died and risen, his authority is complete over heaven and earth, over all things he has authority. Now, do you see, that is the foundation for the task of Christians to go. So verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. Jesus doesn't say, okay, I've got some work for you guys to do. Can you go and tell people about me? Good luck. All the best. But I have authority, therefore go. Or I have conquered sin, death, all things. Now, can you go and tell people what I have done? Go in my authority. I'm in charge of all things. Now you can go. But don't panic, because it's not about you. It's about me. Just before Christmas, got up with a friend, a whole number of friends. Uh, one, of my, uh, one, of the, one of these friends is uh, still in the army. And uh, he's a lovely bloke and a good soldier. Not a career soldier, though. He'll come out probably next year with his half pension and go and do something else. Because he's good and a competent soldier, but his card is not marked for greatness in the army. Just the way it's worked. He's not done the right tours of duty at the right time. So he's a competent soldier, but he's not destined for great things. But he said at the moment he's working for a three-star general. That means nothing to most people. But he's working for a lieutenant general, which is only one off the very, very top. And it's quite a hoot working for this guy. Because now he can ring anyone in the army, and they take his call. In fact, he can bring anyone in the MOD, and they'll take his call. This is a bit of a hoot, because here I am, Major Jones, and I can ring up and say, hello, it's Major Jones, and they say, who are you? Put the phone down. But now I ring up and say, I'm Major Jones. I'm ringing on behalf of Lieutenant General Smith. We'll put you through. This is quite a hoot. All of a sudden, people take him seriously. It's not that he's impressive, but he carries with him the authority of one who is great in the military terms. And that's Jesus' point here. I have all authority, so go. Therefore, you can go because of the authority that is given to me. I have authority, says Jesus. That therefore is key. It's the foundation for Anyone going in the name of Jesus is the foundation for any possible success any Christian might have, going in Jesus' name. So can I briefly point out to you at the beginning of 2012, if you're a Christian and think to yourself, I should, Jesus is wonderful. He's a wonderful savior. He'll save me for eternity. He saves people for eternity. But I just can't, 
I just can't speak to anyone else about him. I just turn to jelly and go, and just my words become mush when I try to speak of him. Jesus has authority over all things. So don't be intimidated. Give it a go. So at the beginning of 2012, Jesus has authority over the weather, the economy, the government. He has authority over your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues. He has authority over Britain, over France, over the U.S. He has authority over the USA, over Iran, over Syria. He has authority. He has authority over your boss. He has authority over the prime minister, over the judiciary. He has authority over angels and demons, over heaven and hell. He has authority over those who are his disciples, those who are not. He has authority over all things. And says, go with my authority. Go in my name. Don't be intimidated by anything. He has authority. Go in his name. And of course, I have authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples. Because Jesus has authority over all things, there is no one on this planet who can say, Jesus is nothing to me. Jesus has no authority over me. Jesus is nothing to do with me because he has authority over all things. Therefore, all people need to respond to him. All people will respond to him on the last day of this world. But now we want people to respond to him with praise and recognizing what he has done, that he's a wonderful, gentle, loving savior. But because he has authority over all things, all nations must come before him. All things. Jesus has authority. So go. Therefore, go. Let's move to that. So the foundation is Jesus has authority. But there's a command. There's a command in verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, actually, verses 19 and 20, they have a number of instructions to them. Technically, there's one imperative, which is make disciples, and three things hang off it. Go, baptize, teach. It may not be obvious in the English, but certainly in the Greek, grammatically, the imperative is make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching. Make disciples is the dominant idea but in three different ways. That'll be characterized by three things. The first, then, is going. Going. Go. Now, that's a great difference from the Old Testament. Because Jesus Christ has died, is risen, there's a new era now. In the Old Testament, God essentially said to his people, obey me, and people will find that very attractive. So classically, Deuteronomy 4, uh, verse 6, Obey these laws carefully, for this will show your wisdom to the nations. And they will hear and say, What a wise people, and what a great God. So in the Old Testament, testimony to God is largely attractional. Live good lives, and people will go, Ooh, interesting, interesting. They've got an interesting God, and be drawn to him. Now that is still true in the New Testament, But because Jesus has authority over all things now, things are a bit different. He says, go. 
Yes, I mean, you'll still live obedient lives, and people will still find that interesting, intriguing. But go. Go out. There's a real difference here. Some will go to distant shores. The, uh, um, some of the mission partners we support. Some will go to Rwanda and New Zealand and Madagascar and China. Some will go all around the world. But all of us are called to go where we live with a stumbling explanation, with a simple invitation to come and hear more about Jesus Christ, with a nervous conversation to, to share, our, share the gospel with others. All of us are called to go in that sense. Go, speak. And of course, for us here at Christchurch Mayfair, as um, Jess alluded to uh, on the video, this is a great place from which to go and reach the nations. Because in one sense, the nations come here. That's a virtue, a real blessing of being in a city center, and certainly a multicultural city such as London. If you hear on Wednesday night in the prayer meeting, hearing news of the Mandarin Fellowship now, which is, uh, which is up and running on a Sunday afternoon, wonderful, a wonderful place where people can hear about Jesus Christ. Because some in the church have gone to the effort of organizing that. And people can be there. So go. Of course, for, for, dare I say, for this congregation, where the average age is, is young in national terms and uh, city terms, there'll come a stage for many here when you'll go back to country of origin, back to city of origin, whatever it is. There'll come a point where you just, actually your job moves and you'll go. And my plea is always this, to this congregation in particular, Will you stay and serve or go and serve when you go? There aren't huge numbers who can stay at a city center church for 10 plus years. If you can, please do. Because we need you to do that and help with the general uh, running of the church and the mission of the church. But for others, when you go, if you go, please go and serve. Please don't just go and join the most comfortable church you can find. You know, the church, which is just very polite and lovely and middle class, and there are hundreds there, and, you can, and instantly you've got a, a thousand people just like you. To, don't, please don't just go and be comfortable. If you have to go, go and serve. So stay and serve or go and serve. But do so with the mentality of, I'm going to make disciples wherever I go. Going. A second little thing which hangs off making disciples, baptizing. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christians are to be baptized literally into the name of Father, Son, Spirit. Not actually just technically in, but into the name. That's a strongly relational sense. Put it this way. If you are knocked on my door at home and say, I said, come on in. That's nice. I probably would do. Um, uh, come on in and have a cup of tea. But at some point, I'd probably want to say, and now it's time for you to go out as well. But if I say, come into my family, take my name, you may not want to, but take, mine, uh, take my name, join my family, have the name Fuller oh, upon you. <laughs> That's different, isn't it? Come in. That's a bit temporary, and you know, share a cup of tea, but then you go out. Come into my family, 
That's strongly relational. And that's what's being spoken of here. You're baptized. When you become a Christian, you're baptized into the name Father, Son, Spirit. That's personal. That's life-changing if you join a new family. So making disciples is never just filling heads with facts. It's being drawn into relationship with the God who is relational, Father, Son, and Spirit. Baptized into that. And when you join his family, you join a church family. Baptism means you're part of a wider body. The Christian life is not lived alone. You're baptized into the family. So Jesus says, make disciples. You need to go, baptize as you go, and teach. Teach people. Throughout, in, in the centuries gone by, this command has been dramatically abused. It's worth acknowledging that briefly. There have been you know, periods in Christian history where people were baptized at sword point. Dreadful, as if it's a numbers game. Horrific, abhorrent, unbiblical, wrong. I've stacked up a few there, so you should get the point. Bad. Jesus wants people to become disciples as they're taught about what he's done as they're taught about who he is. So if you're a Christian, our, our job is to, is to teach, to, to reason, to discuss, to debate, to show people who Jesus Christ is, to teach. That's how people become his disciples. Teach what? Well, to teach everything. Literally, teach all things. Jesus never sees a time when any part of his teaching is outdated. He says, teach all things to the very end of the age. Everything I've commanded, you'll need to teach. So disciples of Jesus will obey everything that he commands. His teaching on sex, that it's for marriage between a man and a woman. Unpopular disciples will obey that. He's teaching on hell. That it's a real place of everlasting torment. Unpopular. But disciples will teach that. He's teaching on wealth. That money is an enormous hindrance to entering the kingdom of God and a trap and a snare. Unpopular. But disciples will teach these things. Teach all things. And of course, again, that's what you see the early church doing. Do you remember um, early in the year, back in the October, we were in Acts chapter 20, and we see the Apostle Paul, what does he do? He's about to leave Ephesus, and he tells the elders there, I have proclaimed the whole counsel of God, all types and all parts of God's scripture. How much of Jesus' teaching is relevant today? Rightly understood, all things, everything, teach them everything. And of course, why? Just to, make uh, to underline it, teach them to obey everything. Jesus doesn't say, go and make disciples by making sure lots of people can name every, 60, every one of the 66 books of the Bible in order. I mean, that's kind of useful. That is useful. That's a good thing to be able to do. Um, but that's not what Jesus is asking here. He wants people to obey him. Actually, to, to teach what Jesus commanded isn't that hard. To understand what Jesus commanded isn't that hard. To obey everything he commands, that's hard. 
That is difficult. But that's what a disciple does. Obeys everything he's commanded. And that's what we want to make. That's what the disciples we want to be here at Christ Church Mayfair. It's a good name for a little network of churches. We want to make disciples. Being a people willing to go and share the gospel. Baptizing into the relational name, Father, Son, Spirit, into the Christian family. And teaching all things, obeying all things that Jesus has taught. Disciples is what we're aiming to be. And you see, this wasn't just a task for the first 11. Because the command is, verse 20, to the very end of the age. And so this is if, well, it's not that. The sort of disciples Jesus wants are disciple-making disciples. He says to us, part of what it means to follow me is to go, make disciples of others, baptizing, teaching. I want my people to be disciple-making disciples. Now, that would be a fairly arrogant thing to say if he wasn't God and if he wasn't the Savior who saves uh, anyone who puts their faith in him, but he is. Go and be disciple-making disciples. So to be a Christian is, well, in that sense, it's hard work. But elsewhere, Luke 14, Jesus would say, anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow after me cannot be my disciple. So of course it's hard work. Discipleship is. But what a purpose. What a purpose to give your life to this. It'll last into eternity. Over Christmas, I read the, uh, I finished reading, it took me a while actually, I finished reading this, the biography of this man, William Borden. Uh, William Borden was an American chap, uh, born in the 1880s in the States, into enormous wealth. He was phenomenally wealthy, his family. had made all their money through milk. And apparently in those days you could make a lot of money that way. Uh, but fabulously wealthy. Grew up in a Christian family. So as a fairly young boy, uh, uh, prayed this prayer of commitment, which is fairly staggering. Lord Jesus, I take hands off as far as my life is concerned. I put you on the throne of my heart. Change me, cleanse me, use me as you shall choose. I take on from you the power of your spirit and thank you. It's quite quite punchy as an eight-year-old or something, isn't it? I take myself, I take in my own hands off my life, I give it entirely to you. And he did. He did. So he's a young man. He's got everything. He's academically brilliant, financially loaded, uh, politically incredibly well connected, and apparently he was handsome too. That's annoying. Um, (laughs) So he has the lot, and he goes off to Yale University as one of the bright young things, the, the eligible bachelor of his generation, and he's horrified by what he sees at Yale. Hundreds of Christians, apathetic. He spends four years shaking everyone up, saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? Finishes university, sells everything that his family owns. Because he's the inheritor, the sole inheritor. Sells the whole family inheritance. It's more than a million dollars. It's 1880, so that's a good sum of money in those days. Determines he's going to be a missionary to Muslims in China. That's what he's going to do with his life. So age 23, he sets off. He goes to Cairo in Egypt because he wants to stop and learn Arabic before he goes to China. He contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. 
at everything. And when his mother went and saw his dead body to collect him, they found written in the back of his Bible words that he'd said over and over and over again to himself. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. And he lived that way. No reserve, it's all going. The whole fortune. No retreat, I'm off. No regrets, I'm dying. But I've given my life to you, Jesus. And you said, okay, I, I promised you in my uh, early years, take it, use it as you will. You decide, yeah, I need to be with you in heaven. Okay, take it. No retreat, no reserve, no regrets. What he didn't know was that the death of the most brilliant man of his generation meant that back at Yale, everything changed. And successive generations, dozens and dozens and dozens, went off to the mission field, inspired by his example in his life. He didn't get to see that. Well, I guess he looks down and sees it. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. But what a legacy. That's worth giving your life for. Going and making disciples. That's the command. Very briefly, as we finish. The foundation, Jesus has all authority. The command, make disciples of all nations. Last thing, very briefly, the promise. I am with you. Verse 20. And assuredly, certainly, I am with you always, throughout all days, to the very end of the age. Do you see then how our task is sandwiched? There's Jesus has all authority. I've got something for you to do, but I am with you. We have, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have as you go about your task tomorrow. The one with all authority is with you for all days. That's wonderful. It's not that. He's all-powerful but absent. It's not that he has all authority but is distant from you. It's not that he's near to you but is feeble. It is that he has absolute authority and he is always with you. Both. Now go and make disciples of all nations, he says. No retreat, no reserve, no regrets. Make disciples to the praise of his name for the benefit of thousands who will hear and come to bow the knee to him and will see throughout all eternity. Go and make disciples, Jesus says to you and to me. Let's pray together. Our Father, if this was just a command barely given on its own to go and make disciples, the weight of it would crush us and we'd just be discouraged and feel guilty. So we praise you that here is a command based upon the fact that the the Lord Jesus Christ has authority over all. He is the one who is reigning and we go in his name and he is with us as we do it. So with the assurance that we're building, we're sharing the news of his work. He is the foundation. With the confidence that you are always with us as we do so, would we be those who give our lives, wherever we are, overseas, in Cairo, in China, in London, in our office, in our school, to making disciples for their good, for the honor of your name. 
And Lord Jesus, we praise you that we, you're always with us as we do so and commit this to you in your name. Amen.